Church. Thanks for listening in. We exist as a church to connect people to the heart of God and to a family within the church. And we believe that Jesus is the way. We hope this message blesses you and gives you hope today. How is everyone? We've got a bunch of things coming. Uh, this is my final message. We got one more next weekend. We're gonna hear from Blake, but we've been in our summer series. And during the summer series, we've been doing testimonies and wisdom. So every weekend you've either heard a testimony from somebody or we've heard something from the Proverbs. And so as I was prepping this weekend, I was like, okay, I'm gonna pull something from the Proverbs. And I just couldn't quite find it. You know, like I had a message written, but I was like, this isn't it. And so I started praying through it. And I was thinking about us just as a church family. You know, something that Callie and I do every year is we take time seasonally to just take inventory. Does anybody else do that? You just take time to look at your life, look at your goals, the things that you're trying to accomplish. But I think right now as we're coming out of summer and life's ramping back up, you know, things are getting busy. Some of us who have kids, you know, they're getting back in school. All that kind of stuff is happening. I, I think it's a good time for us as a church family to just inspect our foundation. You know, if you have cracks in your foundation, you're gonna have trouble in the rest of the structure. And so what I wanna do this weekend is we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians. Uh, turn with me there in your Bibles. If you got them on your phones, you got a paper Bible with you. Um, I always try to give you guys a thesis of kind of what we're aiming at. And this weekend, it's this. This is my thesis. This is what we're gonna break down. Is we are called to be a people, we are called as a people to be active participants. Everyone say active participants. In the family of God, to live under the authority of Jesus and to be directed by his Holy Spirit. And so this weekend, we're gonna talk about the family of Christ. And um, originally, I was just gonna look at 19 through 22, but I'm gonna give you a little extra. Everybody, if you can, go to your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter two, verse 14. They don't have this on the screen, so you're actually gonna to have to get into your Bible. If you don't have version, just Google it, okay? Ephesians two, verse 14. When you got it, say, I got it. Okay, I'm in the New Living Translation. Give you a second. When you're there, say, I'm there. Come on. When you're there, say, I'm there. You ready? Here's what it says. It says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace. Everyone say peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. In who? In himself. One new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards who? Each other was put to death. It says he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away. Now, who are the Gentiles? If you're a Gentile, raise your hand. <laughs> that is us. If you're nationally a Jewish person, anybody? Anybody nationally? Okay, hello. He says he brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Okay our main text for this morning. This we're gonna spend most of our time, but I wanna give you the context of what Paul is saying here to the Ephesians. He says, so now, 
you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens. Y'all listen, the Israelites called the Gentiles uh, dogs. They looked at them and they were like, you were unclean. You have to stay far away from us. If we interact with you, we're gonna be unclean. We're gonna be far from God. Those people, the people who they saw themselves at war with, it says those people are now citizens along with God's holy people. It says you're members of God's what? God's family, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the, and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We're joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you speak to us through it. God, I just pray that this weekend you would speak to us. God, that you would show us anywhere where maybe we're off from you. God, where we're missing something. And so creator, we recognize you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you that you came for us, that you lived for us, that you died for us, and you gave us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to us this weekend. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I got a little uh, little meme situation up here I want you to see. It says, I don't know who needs to hear this, but if your four-year-old goes walking by the room lugging a step stool, nothing good is about to happen. Parents of toddlers, who knows that this is true now? Don't, don't show it yet. I, I found this and I posted this to my Instagram this summer, and I kid you not, like four hours later, this happened. What you doing? Okay. Look at her go, just going to get into trouble. Here's what I've learned about kids. Kids will stand on absolutely anything, anything to get what they want to get, like to get a step up, to get something off the counter. Like, like Georgia, what's that like, those cushions? What's that thing called? Huh? It's called a comfort nugget. Have you all heard of these things? They're basically couch cushions, okay? But you can, you can put them in shapes of all different kinds of things. And so two of them are just triangles. And y'all, I'm telling you, every morning, Georgia takes one of those triangles. She stands up on it. She gets on the shelf. She turns off her noisemaker. She turns on her light. She'll turn that thing. It's like a one foot by one foot triangle. She'll turn it this way. We'll climb on top of it. Because one day I, I took a toy from her, like up on her dresser that's this high. She woke up with it, right? Now, Georgia's this tall. And so what she did is she took something that is totally unstable, that's totally dangerous, and she drug it over to this thing, and she stepped on it, she got on top of it to get the thing that she wants. Your kids will stand on anything, regardless as to how trustworthy it is, to try to get the thing that they want. So here's my question. What do you stand on to get things that you want that might be out of reach. What is it that you drag over when you need a leg up in life? When satisfaction's out of reach? What do you go to? What do you drag over? When peace is out of reach? What do you go to? When meaning is out of reach? Where do you go to search for meaning? When confidence is out of reach? Where do you search? Do you go inward? Do you try to find it in yourself? How about when you're depressed? What do you reach for? For joy? What about when you're anxious, when you're fearful? What do you stand on? Okay, how about this? 
I think this is one of the most important questions of our day. When understanding is out of your reach, where do you go for truth? What's your measuring stick? How do you determine it? Because y'all, right, right now we are in a cultural moment where everyone is trying to define reality based on things that might be trustworthy or more often than not, are not trustworthy. J.I. Packer said this in a quest for godliness. He said, a half truth masquerading as a whole truth becomes a complete untruth. Let me say it again. A half truth masquerading as a whole truth becomes a complete untruth. Yo, we have to be a people who believe in God's son who yield to God's spirit and who weigh social truths against the truth of God's word. How do we do this? First, okay, we're gonna walk through this. We're gonna get back to the thesis. I promise it's all gonna connect. <laughs> How do we do this? First, we have to understand we are members of God's family. Everybody say family. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Yo, listen, we are in God's family. Whose family? God's family. Listen, families are dysfunctional, right? Can I get an amen? One of these, right? And this family is no different. Y'all, sometimes in your families, you don't like each other, right? But you have this, this bond. There's this closeness. There's this love, right? And sometimes it's difficult. It's like, I wish we weren't family because I don't like you that much right now. Okay, let's be honest. How many of you know Christians that you do not like? I got my hand up. Come on, I'm gonna ask that again. How many of y'all know Christians that you do not like? <clears throat> the, you know, the thing that separates the church from every, every other family or family or whatever you wanna call it is not that the people are perfect because they aren't. You know, sometimes Christians are awful, Right? The difference between this family, just look around for a second. Take, take a second, look behind you, look beside you. Look at all the different backgrounds. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, dysfunctional mess, right? The difference between this family and every other family is not that the members are perfect, but that the patriarch is perfect. The founder is perfect. The master is perfect. Yo, we as, as the church are not a social club. We're not a social justice movement. We are the family of Christ. Here in a few weeks, in two weeks, I'm gonna start a series on the book of Acts and y'all, it is blowing my mind. The reason I had a hard time writing this is I cannot wait to teach through Acts with you guys and to start to look at the early church. What marked them, y'all, it's been blowing my mind. But one thing that I've found, there was no mistake in the early church that the church was not about the people and their views. The church was about God's glory and the mission of Christ and what Christ had done. And y'all, what we get so wrong is that we think church is about our preferences. Church is about our offenses. Church is about our vision, right? Like pastors get so off and we start thinking, I've got this great vision. Y'all, this is God's church. We are God's family. This is not about me. This isn't even about you. This is about what he has done in his glory. If you go and look, oh my gosh, I'm giving so much away, but I can't help it. 
The apostles go out and they heal people and they're like, oh my gosh, look what you've done. And he said, this happened among you so that you would see the glory of Christ, that you would accept the, the word of what he has done, his gospel, his good news, that there's peace for those who are far away. There's peace for those who are broken. Y'all, that's what we're about as the family of Christ is building our lives around his perfection. And, and the, more, the, the older I get, the more this blows my mind. Like, think about that. He's perfect. He's perfect. And in his perfection, as messed up, as broken, as dysfunctional as we are, he still wants us. And he doesn't just want to save us. He actually wants, the Bible says he actually wants a relationship, an intimate relationship with us. Y'all listen, Jesus, he doesn't just like you. He, he loves you. He sees the deepest secrets of your heart. The things when, when, when you're alone and, and, and you know that nasty stuff is that he sees all of that. And he chooses you and he loves you anyway and he adopts you and he welcomes you into his family. Y'all living in the church for the past 16, 17 years of my life has revealed to me just how crazy this is. Jesus never sinned. I'm in my Jesus year right now. What does that mean? I'm 33, okay? Jesus lived to 33. I'm, I'm, I'm at that point. In November, I'm gonna pass that line. I'm gonna be 34, I can't count the sins I committed this year, right? This month. Think about the glory of Christ. Not once, not once did he make a mistake. And, and here's how arrogant we are. If anybody of us, any of us will admit this. When we start growing in Christ and we start sinning a little bit less, we start getting annoyed with people who still sin like we used to. Come on. Can anybody be honest about that? Can't you just get it together? There were people, you know, you might have walked into church and you saw some people smoking cigarettes on the sidewalk. Guess what? They were doing heroin last week. You know, they're doing better. They're growing. But we get in this place, we get so arrogant. We start saying, why can't they get it together? Here's what's crazy. The one who never sinned is the one who loves and has the most grace for the sinner. Yo, that's why you're Christians. <laughs> this is not my family. You do not want to build your life around me. You don't even want to be a part of the church because of me. You're not Dukians, all right? <laughs> right? <laughs> one, that would be embarrassing to go tell people. But two, I will let you down. We are Christians. We're the church of Jesus. And not just in this location, but in hundreds of rooms around our city, thousands of rooms around our state, millions of rooms around the world. We are Christians. Yo, Christ has grace for us. And part of that grace, now listen to me. I just talked about all that other stuff. Part of that grace in the family of Jesus is that he has called us to more. Everybody say more. You know, in this family, we have a culture, right? The, the entry, the barrier of entry to become a Christian is the easiest but yet the most costly barrier. It, it says in 1 Corinthians, 
it says, you are not your own. You were bought with a high price. And it says, so honor Christ, therefore, in your bodies. We were bought at a high price. The ticket, that's his forgiveness. But from there, there's culture, there's values. We, we have to learn what it means to be a part of this family, to love each other, to believe the best about each other, to speak the truth to each other, to call each other to holiness, and you'll listen. To believe for the church's best when she's at her worst. I, I preached a message last October about the problems of the church. Y'all, there are so many <laughs> problems. <laughs> if you're looking for a perfect church, it does not exist. I've said this a thousand times. You know why? Because who's here? Because you're here, right? <laughs> it's not me. No. But we're on the bus. That's what matters. We have to be full of grace. That's part of our culture. But y'all, we are learning. We're growing. And that's the family of Christ. Y'all, there are people in here. Some of you. And y'all, gosh, this is complex. We're going to get into this more in the coming weeks. Some of you guys, you're in the worst place of your life. Maybe you don't, you don't even have a place that you call home. And you're walking in here and you're getting coffee. You have value. You're God's child. You have just as much of the right to the name Christian as anybody else in this room. Some of us. Some of us are in the worst place in our life. Some people are at the best. Like we look at the top of these buildings. You live at the top. You're part of this family too. You have value here, not because of your net worth, because of what Christ has done for you. You know, the church has to be full of people who are humble and who are built on the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. Okay, number one, we're his family. That's what that means. We're from all different backgrounds. We're crazy, we're dysfunctional, we're wild, but we love each other and we believe the best for each other, right? Number two, so we're God's family. Number two, we are, think about that. Think about the operative word there. We are God's house. What a strange sentence, right? Look at this, verse 20. Together we are his house. What does this mean? Okay, in, in the Old Testament, the temple was the center of Jewish life, all right? That they would worship Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. When God revealed himself to the Israelites, he said, my, my name is Yahweh. I'm not like the other gods. This is who I am, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And everything was oriented around temple worship. Like for David, King David, he's a character in the Old Testament. King David was on the run. Uh, one of his sons was chasing him down and he was in the wilderness. He couldn't go to the temple, to the church to worship. And, and what he said is, God, let my prayers be like the incense that they burn in the temple. They had all these rituals. He said, he raised his hands. Just think about that. We raise our hands like, and there's music and it sounds good. He's in a stinking cave in silence, in exile. And he says, God, let the raising of my hands be like a sacrifice on the altar to you. The, the temple was the center of their life. But what does God say here? He says, together we are his house. What is he saying? Together we are his temple, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So let me just say something real quick. Anybody who tells you to stray away from any of the teachings of the apostles is leading you astray.
When somebody starts doing that, that they are rejecting, just think about this. We talked about Christ. This is his church. This is his book. They are rejecting Christ. They're not rejecting you. When your friends go through these things, and, and love is to tell them that. Anyway, that's, that's for free. The cornerstone of Jesus Christ himself. He's carefully joined us together in him, becoming a what? A holy temple for the Lord. In the Old Testament, the temple was a place. Now the temple is a people. You'll look around the room again. I'm going to do this a lot. We are the temple. This is the temple for God's dwelling. It's like, it doesn't even make sense. We're, we're going to dive really deep into this these next few weeks and months as we go through the book of Acts and in our small groups, y'all listen, I want to encourage you. This is why small groups are important. It's not a social club. It's not just a Bible study. Bible study is great. It's deeper than that. You know, the early church, it wasn't just like, hey, we come to Bible study and then we leave and we never talk to each other again. You know, life group. This is a place where the people of God are the people of God in relationships together. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, I'd go to the pool. I wonder if anybody else did that. Did anybody have neighborhood pools growing up? It's a big deal where I grew up. Uh, and, and I was little, I was, I don't know how old I was, five or six, and I would do this. I wonder if anybody else did this. I would get in the pool, and the pool was, uh, you know, gradually got deeper, right, as you went. And so I would kind of go as far deep as I could. And eventually, I'd be on my tippy toes, right? Like just barely touching the bottom. My nose would be out, and I'd see like how deep I could get. And every day, I wanted to try to get a little bit deeper because you want to see how tall you are, right? So all your friends are like, oh, I'm taller than you, I'm further, whatever. You're trying to keep your nose above the water. You want to see how deep you could go. I wonder how many of us in these past couple of years have almost kind of felt like that. You feel like in our cultural moment, all the changes, all the social changes that are happening, all the belief changes that are happening, all the identity changes that are happening, you almost felt like you're at that end of the pool and you're barely keeping your nose above water. There's a book that, uh, I, I highly recommend if you felt like that. It's by a guy named Carl Truman, and it's a book called Strange New World. Everybody say Strange New World. Isn't that the perfect book title for the world that we're in? Does anybody ever feel like that? Like, what's happening? I want to encourage you, if you're a reader, check this book out. But I, I want to give you some of what he breaks down that I think is so helpful for us as we look at building God's house. It, it is so tough because what is happening in our world is the rise of secularism, and we're moving into something called a post-Christian age. What does that mean? That's difficult for us to deal with, especially as we get older. But our country and our world has changed, and people no longer look to biblical values to try to determine truth, to try to, try to determine identity. What do they do? This, this is the fatal flaw of secularism, and y'all, it is a religion. What secularism says is look within yourself and you'll find truth, right? You wanna be your authentic self and anyone who tells you that you can't be your authentic self is oppressing you or is putting you down or whatever. Yo, know, the issue with this, I wonder if anybody else could agree. Well, this is a huge iceberg that I'm getting into right here. What do you find when you look within yourself? For me, for me, what I've found is wickedness and a fickle heart 
and something that is totally untrustworthy to stand on. Yo, that's literally why I'm a Christian, <laughs> is because for me, when I looked within myself, I was like collapsing like a neutron star. I could not sustain myself. And so I had to look to something else to sustain me, to build me up. For, for us as the church, if we allow, it's called expressive individualism, expressive individualism. If we let this philosophy rule the church, instead of laying our lives humbly at the feet of Christ and allowing him to tell us who we are we, and how we find ourselves and how we find our identity, we will not be a hum, humble family. We will not be a beautiful house in which God is pleased to dwell, but we will be a vain and selfish crowd that is not rooted in the apostles or the prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone, but is rooted in our own feelings and our own autonomous authority with our own determined sense of right and wrong, and it will fail us. And you'll, it will fail our country. The, the change, so a lot of us, we look at this, it's like, okay, well, what do we need to do? Do we need to get a big platform and do we need to yell and whatever? What, what I believe, what I want to submit to you as you look at your life, you look at the trajectory of your life in church, it, it is what we need to do is the same thing Christians have done for 2,000 years. We need to live in small pockets of community where we commit ourselves to Christ, we commit ourselves to each other, we commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching, and we love a lost and hurting and broken world. But listen, we cannot be conformed by its ideologies. And y'all, the garbage that's been happening within the church is because people are being more formed by secular ideology than they are by theology. They're being more formed by what they feel inwardly than by the one that, that we believe, if we believe this, the one who spoke and all of this came to be. That's where we have to go for our sense of truth. So how do we become the house, right, in which God is pleased to dwell? We have to look closely at how we're being built. Verse 21, we are carefully Everyone say carefully. We are carefully joined together in what? In him. Not in me. Not in the ways that we view ourselves, but we are carefully joined together in Christ. It means that in our joining, we just talked about this. It's not whether we like it or like each other or not, right? Our joining is based on him. And on his goodness, we are his church. We are his special possession, paid for at the cost of his blood. We are his people who've been purchased. So here's the question as his house that we have to ask. This is what we have to ask ourselves. What's his goal? What's his goal? In verse 21, his goal is that we would be, could you put that back up there, that original, that original text? His goal is that we would become a holy temple for the Lord. Now notice it doesn't say that we would be. He said you are the house, all right? We are the house, but we are becoming a holy temple. Okay, so, so the Greek here means to cause to grow, this word to become. It means to increase, to become greater, to grow. It talks about this, this word to be used with plants, it could be used with infants, it could be used with a multitude of people growing, but, but here's what I see in this and what I want us to see. 
It's the inward growth of a Christian. So for us as a collective to become this temple, we individually have to be good temples where God's spirit dwells. We're going to get into that here in a second. The good news is that God's given us the space to grow. Somehow, we're still as people with our rags and our sin and our mess. But listen, God knows we have growing to do. He planned for that. He isn't surprised. He expects it. He isn't saying be, be sinless. He's saying aspire to it. He's saying I've given you victory over sin. But now, and this is what I want us to see, this is where I want to challenge you as we go into the semester. We have to aspire to be that temple that's becoming holy. Let's look at the third thing here. We are, everybody say are, the dwelling for God's spirit. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Think about that. We talked about the perfection of Christ. The same Christ that lived in, the same spirit that lived in Christ lives in you. Okay, I'm gonna step on your toes. I'm gonna step on my own toes, right? What junk are you allowing to stay in his temple? I'm not talking about the things that, that you look at and you're like, oh, I hate that. I'm battling that. I'm fighting that. I'm talking about the stuff that you excuse. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. He says, you are not your own. You're bought at a price, a high cost. So present your bodies to him. You must honor God with your bodies. You know, we are the temple of God's glory. The goodness and the glory of God dwells within us. He used to dwell. Think about this. His Holy Spirit used to have to be in the center of a temple with four different courts separating it with a four-inch, 60-foot-tall veil because if you went in it in an unworthy manner, you would drop dead. That's the Old Testament, right? Now that same holiness, that glory of God chooses to dwell in us, it, it, it says in, the, in, in Romans, it says that he's put his treasure in jars of clay. He's put his glory inside of us. And, and so what I want us to look at, we're coming out of the summer. I want us to take a moment here and just take some inventory. How are you really doing, right? I told you at the beginning of the summer, my heart for you is that you would have fun this summer, that you get outside, you get some vitamin D. I didn't, I didn't count on us having like the whole summer be over 100 degrees. Maybe you looked at it from the window, wave at it. But I, I think as this season, summer, we all know it's going to go through stinking November because we live in Arkansas. <laughs> but as this season's coming to a close, we're coming into August, all life's ramping back up, business is changing, kids are going back to school. I, I think this is a good time to ask ourselves a few questions. Number one, are you an active participant in the family you're a part of? Are you an active participant in the church? Do you have a place? Do you have a role? I don't know about you guys. In my family, we had chores, right? We had things that we did. Are you an active participant in the family? Number two, 
Are you a part of, of building his, his holy dwelling? Are you a part of his house? And then number three, with that awareness that he dwells among us, but also inside of us, is, is the fruit, are you seeing the fruit? How, how do you know if, if you're growing with Christ? God gives us the answer, Galatians 5, 22. We're gonna close with this. But the Holy Spirit produces this type of fruit. Notice it doesn't say fruits, this isn't plural. Talk about why. In our lives, everybody read it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. And so I just wanna encourage you, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm, I'm gonna read through this list again. And as you have your heads bowed, as you have your eyes closed, um, Callie, she, she did this at Mother's Day, but every night with our daughter, Georgia, she sings this song and it's the fruit of the spirit. And I'll tell you what, the most convicting thing in the world is when you're sitting there singing the fruit of the spirit to your kids and all of a sudden you realize, gosh, I've lost my patience this week. Gosh, I didn't have self-control this week. Man, I haven't been kind. And so I just wanna take a second, go through this as Christians. Let, let Christ search your heart. He dwells richly in us. Let me read these. And what I want you to look at is how am I doing in all of these? Don't just look at one like, yep, yeah, ace in that one. It's the fruit. As we walk with Jesus, we're gonna see more and more of this in every area of our life. So I'm gonna read through it. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Love. How are you doing in loving other people? Joy. Experiencing the joy of Christ. Peace. Peace of God that passes all understanding guards our hearts and minds. Are you at peace? Patience. How are you doing in that? Goodness. Faithfulness consistency, gentleness, and self-control. Just take a moment with God. I'll be looking around. Just take a moment. like you, Jesus. God, I recognize the areas, just my impatience, my insistence on my timing, God, and I just repent, I bring that to you. God, we together collectively, the areas where you've pricked our hearts, God, the areas where you've shown us we're just not like you. God, we thank you for your grace, but God, we thank you for your grace to grow. Help us in those areas, Jesus. It's your name we pray. All God's people said. 
Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. I pray that this message that you just listened to helps you and assists you in your journey with Jesus. And if you want to get connected in our church, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock.